Hi, everyone. I'm Joseph Williams, an L.A.-based reporter covering the business of theatrical films for the tech, media, and telecom news team over here at S&P Global Market Intelligence. Welcome to Media Talk, an S&P podcast where our news and research staff explore issues in the ever-evolving media landscape. Today, we're talking about the evolution of the box office specifically, its recovery from a near-disastrous pandemic period, and the changes it's undertaken, both temporary and permanent. With me are two industry experts, Wade Holden and Sean Robbins. Thank you both for being with me. Please introduce yourselves to our Media Talk audience. Wade? Uh, Hi, Wade Holden. I am a senior research analyst with S&P Global, and I've been following the motion picture business for a couple of decades now. Great. Thanks, Wade. Sean, tell me a little bit about your role. I'm Sean Robbins, chief analyst with Box Office Pro, uh, who I've been reporting and forecasting with for about 10 years. But similar to Wade, I've been following the industry for much longer than that. And I would say it's just uh, it's great to join you guys here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Likewise, I really appreciate both of y'all being here. And I look forward to unpacking some of the nuances of, of, of what we're seeing out there in the, in the theater business at this uh, pivotal time. And I say pivotal because obviously through the pandemic period, you know, the theaters were closed, um, you know, which really was a shock to the business uh, on both the studio side and the exhibitor side. Um, And even as theaters reopened, you know, there's been issues of um, supply, you know, films being produced and and released, debuted in theaters, um, issues of consumer sentiment, um, their return to theaters. But over the past several months, we've seen a, by some measures, a a startling return of blockbuster films from Spider-Man at the end of last year through Batman, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. We've had uh, Top Gun, which I actually saw this weekend. Phenomenal film to see in theaters. We had Jurassic World. And then um, we had somewhat of a disappointing opening with Lightyear. I think um, this morning, the estimates I were seeing were 51 million for the for the for the debut weekend, where some forecasts put it you know put it up to a, you know the 100 million range. Um, maybe y'all can give me some insight on why uh, Lightyear underperformed by some estimates and uh, what was driving the the demand there and the lack of demand. This is a brand that has really been incredibly reliable in the past. A trifecta to be honest, Disney, Pixar, and Toy Story itself, which has, has been their most valuable IP out of, out of Pixar. So the expectation there, I think, was abnormally high just because of, of what was in play in terms of names on papers. But when it came down to it, the movie was marketed, I think, more toward, toward an adult audience. It didn't really showcase a lot of comedy, which is important to bring in kids and, you know, unfortunately, it was kind of marred by some controversy that I, I think is applicable to some of the more conservative families out there. And domestically, that that might have been a, a played a role in, in the underwhelming opening as well. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I, I look at it from another point, too. Um, is it an early warning sign of how all in studios have gotten uh, gone in on their on their streaming services and the fact that the last three Pixar films just debuted on Disney plus. So do you have a portion of the audience deciding I'll, I'll just wait. I'll wait till it's on Disney plus. I don't need to go see it in the theaters. So 
it's a too early to tell when it comes to that. I think, uh, I think you need, you need, we need more data, right? Because obviously Dr. Strange did, did great. Um, people didn't want to wait to go see that. So is it, is it a factor of maybe people just, it wasn't what people expected from a Toy Story film. It was a bit of a departure from the standard format. So did that turn audiences off or, or, you know, or are we going to see more of these family oriented films that are hitting streaming services earlier than they used to not getting what was expected at the box office because of that? Right. Exactly. Um, both good points. The impact of streaming is obviously top of mind. One thing that Lightyear was supposed to represent in, in some of our minds was the demand from family audiences, obviously. Uh, Top Gun, Batman, Doctor Strange, you know, these target millennial, younger audiences, yeah. healthy audiences that haven't shown as much, as much concern about coming back to the theater. Um, what are your thoughts on, on family audiences here? I think it's... You know, it's progressive. We, we kind of have to consider the crossover of, of audiences. And anytime we're talking about families, we're talking about parents. And when we're talking about parents, we're talking about adults of a certain age. And to me, when a movie, the fact that a movie like Top Gun Maverick is doing as well as it is, speaks to the increasing comfort of that demographic. Because that's not necessarily what you would call a family movie, although it actually has kind of turned into something like that. A lot of people are taking their families to see it because it crosses generations. but in terms of that traditional, you know, kitty friendly movie, uh, parents may not be taking their kids to see Top Gun, but the fact that parents themselves are going to see Top Gun, I think is an encouraging factor for, you know, what we'll see in the months ahead. I agree with what Wade said. It's it, light year alone is not a, a, enough of a data point to really have a, a read yet. We can also look back to Sonic two opening to more than 70 million just two months ago. Uh, that was a huge signal that families were ready to come back. Also kind of a fan-driven franchise because it's a video game, but still a significant number of kids, today's kids, fell in love with that first movie right before the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Sing 2 did well over the holiday season and into January also. So it's, it's um, you know, there is some informa you know, information there that says, you know, families do want to come back to theaters, and they, and they are in, in some respects. So... Yeah, it's 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 really is is light year an anomaly kind of you know that's where we're at you know and that's just that's going to take time to see. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Good points. So to pan out a little bit, you know, let's talk about theater uh, supply in general. You know, supply of films. Uh, we've we've seen great performances from some of these titles we've highlighted, both from general audience, superhero films. Uh, Top Gun Maverick was a. Uh, impressive return of the action genre but these these titles have been spaced out by you know wide margins a couple weeks to up to a month or more between each title and uh in in a typical summer slate you'd have a blockbuster film like this coming out every week i wanted to ask can we assume that the box office recovery is in full effect given the performance of these titles or will or is there still sort of a you know, wait and see kind of mentality, given the given the lag between titles and the open space between titles. Like, can do y'all think that if blockbuster films are released on a weekly basis, they could sustain these kind of numbers? I there's some aspect of wait and see to that, but I think we're at a point closer to to normal than we've been at any point since theaters reopened a little over a year ago. 
I may look to the fact that this Father's Day weekend box office was up 21% from Father's Day weekend in 2019. And that's been a key metric to look back on is how are these, how are these comparisons to pre-pandemic years looking? That's not going to be the case every week. And it comes down to the content and what's releasing on a week-to-week basis, kind of like what you're saying. Uh, and we're in the middle of, of the wave and the ebb and flow. It's just that the, the flows are getting a little bit more consistent and lasting a little bit longer. So summer, to me, is at a point where if we can't quite call it 100% of a normal schedule, it's, it's very high up there. Um, and, you know, we'll probably see some, some slowdowns in the fall when, when the slate isn't quite as strong. But that's not going to be a concern. I think that's to be expected because that will be just part of the, the more, the more we, the further down the calendar we get, the less about the pandemic this becomes and more about the content that's on the screen. I think as we've gone into June, really, I think summer (laughs) this year, I feel like summer started Memorial Day weekend and really instead of like the first weekend in May, like it normally does. But, um, and you're starting to see more of those major titles. And, And then when you look at the calendar, um, and I think in the past too, you kind of get um, things start to slow a little bit come mid-August and through September, and then you kind of start to pick up uh, it, it, toward the end of October. You know, and, and that if you look at the schedule, that kind of seems how it is. You're going to have Halloween ends in 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 Black Adam in October. Uh, then you have Black Panther coming in in November. Uh, followed by Avatar and Shazam in December and, and several others. So um, in some ways, it sort of feels like towards the, the latter half of this year, we're kind of seeing um, maybe more of a, a typical release schedule. Right. That makes sense. I guess I also wanted to understand better what's driving the spacing between new films. Um, there's some sense that, you know, there were production delays, but at the same time, studios had a lot of time um, through the pandemic period to sort of build up a backlog of films. Why is there such a slow drip of films? Is there, is there any pent-up supply? Are, are studios still hesitant to release films on theaters? Or are, they, are they waiting for um, more clear signs of recovery here? Or, you know, or, or has all the supply sort of is all the supply being released at a reasonable pace and much of it went to streaming. And that's why there's still gaps in the theatrical debut schedule. Um, Maybe if we could dig a little deeper into that supply issue, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I we're kind of in that point where the, the production schedules for some films that we're really trying to get up and running either pre-vaccine or, or early days of vaccine, some of those, those bigger films have run into, I know some special effects companies have had issues with pipelines and the, you know, the supply chain issues have, have been a factor, especially for, for global productions anywhere that's filming internationally. But, you know, at the same time, I also look at the fact that these studios have gone back to traditional theatrical windows, more or less shortened, but, you know, that's, that was, this is kind of the new normal of 45 day window. And we even see the likes of Netflix, more and more rumors abound that they will eventually adopt a theatrical window for, especially for some of their most expensive films. I I think that's all tied together. 
And even though a lot of films did move to streaming uh, up and you know over the last couple of years, we're seeing that a lot less now. It's it's becoming more about studios figuring out where the content goes to begin with. Uh, so we're, we're still seeing a lot of streaming announcements, but the theatrical announcements are, you know, picking up, I would say with consistency. And honestly, once we look at the calendar, uh, even though August, August and September might be a little slow as Wade kind of alluded to, things look pretty normal once you get into October. And, and I think especially in 2023, the theatrical calendar looks, uh, you know, way more consistent than it did even this year so far. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I think, too, there was some some hesitancy right at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think a lot of people look waiting to look at ba- see see what Batman does. Right. Because, I mean, Spider-Man obviously did, you know, gangbusters. But um, let's not put them back to back to back because who knows what's going to happen. And kind of right. like <laughs> everyone's kind of waiting for one studio to take the risk. Hey, is this one going to hit big? So, okay, then maybe we will keep that. that window. And and we're, we started to see it, right? Batman kind of got the ball rolling and then, um, it you know, but it had it had a nice run before Doctor Strange came out. And Doctor Strange had a, a decent run before Top Gun hit and the Top Gun hit. And it was like, boom, one after the other. I think we're starting, to, you know, I think we're starting to see... Uh, see sort of like okay i think our schedules can kind of be set people are, are coming back and and i think you also have to look at it too i mean these are gigantic films with gigantic budgets and it's not just how things are going here in the u.s they have to look at the other countries and make sure like lockdowns aren't going on and um they're gonna risk out on losing hundreds of millions of dollars in, in box office from other countries um so you know it's this is really i mean this is a, a global business now with with the amount of, of worldwide box office that comes in um so you can't just gauge your release pattern just on how the u.s market is going yeah totally agree great filling in the gaps between some of these big budget films we've been talking about you know there has been some small and, and middle budget films that are being released films that might be more sensitive to some of the new dynamics in uh, both consumer demand for theaters and in uh, sort of studio and theater priorities, uh, financial priorities. Um, you know, you have everything everywhere all at once, Downton Abbey, these kind of middle budget films. How, how have those been performing compared to your expectations? And, and what does that performance imply about, about how the box office recovery is filling out here? Those are still work in progress. Uh, I would I would say we haven't had quite a consistent flow of those releases quite yet to really get a, get a better idea of what the long-term uh, impact is going to be. I think it's safe to say that there will be some expectation for those movies, especially ones with shorter windows of the three-week or less kind, that, you know, we... we might see some impact, especially among the older audiences who were who already typically age out of going to the movies at a certain point, and the pandemic expedited that to a certain extent. Um, Downton Abbey is kind of an interesting case. I think you know we we kind of had that declining from the first film's returns, even without the pandemic being in consideration, but not quite, maybe not quite as much as it did. But that's obviously you know, catering to essentially the forty-five to fifty-plus audience. Uh, and women, which has been the hardest demographic to bring back 
and they have just kind of started coming back with Top Gun and and hopefully with Elvis. But then I look at something like A24 is everything everywhere all at once. You know, classic case of an indie movie breaking out with a very diverse audience. And that's that's the sort of movie that the market will need more of going forward to really get a better feel of of what these non-tentpoles, these non-franchises can do for those weeks where there isn't a major Jurassic Park movie opening or or what have you. Because because there will be those weeks. There have been those weeks in the past, and they'll be here again. Hollywood can't put out a you know a big Marvel movie every single weekend. They'll they'll try to in the long run probably, but we're not there yet. So yeah, I think. I think in the long run, these mid-range movies will will find their footing and studios will be able to plan for them. But we're still at that point where, you know, the focus is on slightly bigger content to drive the market. And you also have The Lost City did did well. Yeah. Coming out. In that was the, great. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out in late, what, late March. Um, so it kind of, you know, it kind of filled the gap and kept things going. I mean, it's, it's gross to more than Fantastic Beast three. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I think there's, there's appetite there. I think if it's the right product. Um, but I mean, before the pandemic, these, you know, major giant tentpole films were taking up a lot of the real estate in theaters anyway. Um, you know, they're coming out and they're taking multiple screens in a single theater at a time. Um, sometimes those smaller budget, films or mid-range budget films had to you know had a fight for the real estate and sometimes they just didn't get it but i think um i think we'll see some of those come back i think uh i mean dog okay did okay jackass forever you know brought in a decent amount of people so um yeah i think i think over time there'll be there'll be more of an audience for those films gotcha yeah on a personal note, just out of curiosity, have uh, have y'all been back to the theater much since you know since theaters have, have reopened? Are there any um, favorite films you've seen in the past few months that have come out? Like I said, I I saw Top Gun this weekend, and that's uh, you know I think since the pandemic closures, it's the second movie I've seen besides Dune in theaters, and yeah, it was great. I mean, it was a matinee, so it was a thin crowd, but everybody seemed to be pretty excited to be there. Yeah, I mean, I've been back pretty regularly. Uh, I won't lie. It's uh, pretty much once I had the opportunity, I went and when we had, you know, before vaccine or before vaccines, I should say we had our masks on and everything. So I, I saw tenant several times. I was lucky to be near an open theater two years ago for that. Then there was a break. And, uh, yeah. last summer I started going back pretty regularly, but uh, yeah, top gun, Spider-Man, uh, several of those have just been awesome experiences to go back to for me. Yes, Spider Man brought me back to the theater, uh, <laughs> or, or or more specifically, uh, my youngest son badgering me to go see Spider Man <laughs> brought me back to the theater. But uh, <laughs> but since then we've gone we've gone pretty regularly. We, we saw we saw the Batman, we saw Uncharted, Doctor Strange. Um, I, I have yet to see uh, Top Gun, but uh, I'm already making plans with my dad to to see Elvis uh, when we get up there on vacation next week. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 all in. I'm going going as <laughs> as regular as I can. There's it's it's a great experience. Yeah. Like once you once you don't have it for a while, you kind of realize how much you miss it. Right. Yeah, I think that was my experience this weekend. It was just. You know, it was such an event to go back to the theater um, with, you know, with with that with that distance of a couple of years. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an exciting experience. It was really cool. 
to be able to soak into that, you know, um, you know, kind of for the first time relative to recent history. And yeah, I'm jealous of uh, seeing Tenant on the theaters. I saw that, you know, streaming on my not very impressive TV here at home. <laughs> I could definitely imagine the experience in theaters was much better. Yeah, I, I'm in Texas and, yeah. and it's, um, things are a little more lax here. So, I mean, it just, it honestly, it feels like summer box office season used to be here. Just going, going yeah. to the movies yeah. and theaters are pretty darn full. So <laughs> that's the same here. I'm in Tennessee yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's very, very similar mindsets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that's made it hard to see films on my end is I, I kind of, I live, you know, in a smaller town outside Los Angeles, or at least I have been since the pandemic and, uh, you know, our local mom and pop theater closed down out here. So I have to, I have to drive about an hour to go see a film. So that's, you know, that is one dynamic from the pandemic that's been, you know, that, you know, where I can kind of palpably feel the change um, and kind of speaks to how the evolution of, of the business is going to play out. You're spending more on gas so, yeah, than movie uh, tickets. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're not kidding. Um, actually, yeah, I went to a, a, a Regal theater and, it actually, you know, it was matinee prices and then they like, you know, sort of automatically gave me one of their customer customer loyalty cards and, and the ticket prices um, for me and my partner and concessions, all that was surprisingly affordable. But to your point, Wade, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Driving my forerunner all the way down to the theater was probably the most expensive part of the experience. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, if you look at, um, you know, economic downturns, 08 and, and things like that, like, um, going to the movies has always been pretty resistant yeah to any there's almost of that mm-hmm. yeah it's it's either a negative correlation or just no correlation most of the time yeah yeah that, you know that is one thing i wanted to touch on is uh how do you see the, the the theatrical business playing out if you know with all these warning signs of recession uh high inflation um you know it sounds you know y'all just touched on it briefly but if you can unpack that a little bit do you yeah. What's your expectation for theaters, you know, in light of the in the broader economy here? I, you know, at the moment, I th- I think we're I'm I'm going to cheat a little. My expectation is that it'll keep going as it has been because inflation has been an issue for, you know, really a few months now or technically longer, but it's been in the minds of people for a little bit and people are going back to the movies on mass. I I kind of going back to to what we just started to hint at the historically movies tend to resist any economic downturn and really become one of the more affordable options, especially for families who, you know, at one point, maybe they're thinking we want to take our first vacation to the beach, especially after a pandemic. Now, now that same family is considering, you know, high demand, high gas prices. Uh, why not just have a staycation at home and, and go see a movie or two uh you know even compare the same thing to sporting events it's movies have had this kind of uh i think there's been a media presentation that as ticket prices go up movies become inherently more expensive than anything else it's really the opposite the price of everything goes up over time and the price of a movie ticket has really kind of stayed fairly level with with average income for the last half century or so and going to the movies is an escape, right? That's why we go to kind of check out of real life for a couple of hours. And uh, when, you know, when things are down and uh, 
and you just don't want to think about it and you, you try to find sort of the most affordable option for you and your family to, to kind of to get away to to escape to enjoy a good fun story and you know hopefully you come out ha- having had a, a really good time exactly. especially after a pandemic <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the need for escapism has probably not been higher in a very long time i would say for a lot of people <laughs> yeah absolutely that was my experience with the first film i went back to and um you know as we were pulling out of the pandemic when i went to see dune it was yeah such a thrill to to you know go out in public see something so exciting entertaining and also just be around people who are also there <laughs> to you know see something exciting <laughs> and entertaining this weekend in theaters you know i noticed between lightyear top gun Jurassic World, you know, that took up, they had just innumerable show times for each. Those were filling all the boxes, um, you know, and then you have the fact that going forward, even if film supply does start to fill out more, uh, you have these, this new windowing uh, situation where uh, films are going to potentially drop off sooner than they used to. The 45 day window, um, you know, is, is about half what it was for big films. And then like y'all, touched on these small mid-budget films might be dropping off after three weeks. What's going to fill the the boxes? I mean, should we expect more and more non-film content? Um, do, you know, the studio or uh, theater companies have talked a lot about their experiments with that and the relative success of that, but is that going to be sort of a pillar of the, of the business model going forward? I think it'll play a role for sure. We can even look at this September as an example. Sony just announced a re-release of, Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun version, which will include some, I think, some outtakes and things like that. And then Avatar is being re-released. But outside of that, we also have special events like concerts, you know, uh, comedy concerts, musical concerts, churches renting out auditoriums, uh, especially in, you know, smaller cities. So, yeah, that's where I I think we've also kind of talked about the calendar filling back out again. And... Once we get into the fall, we'll start seeing award season contenders. I think the important thing to remember, too, is um, while they may have shorter windows, that doesn't mean, um, I mean, that just means it's going to be released on a different platform. It doesn't mean it's necessarily, you know, exiting the theaters that you won't be able to find this. Uh, somewhere to watch it. it Maybe a little more difficult. Um, you may have, you know, limited time options but um that doesn't mean that it's just going to you know after you know 45 days it just vanishes and you can't find it anymore um so it, it, and i think the other thing too um i did you know is doing some research into to box office and and, and the windowing and um after after three weeks of release typically you know a film is going to has has grossed you know seventy five seventy per six seventy six percent of what it's going to gross, um, and it's just in sort of uh, you know after forty five days it uh, um, it becomes a, a, a much smaller percentage uh, of box office you're taking in. I mean, but on the grand scheme of things, you know, pre pandemic, the you know post forty five days is you know, five, 600 million in total box office. Uh, it's not an insignificant amount of, uh, of money. Um, and I guess the concern there maybe for exhibitors was if, if they're losing out on a portion of that, they're losing out on admissions, they're losing out on concessions from those admissions. Um, so 
how how do they get compensated for that by agreeing to a shorter exclusivity window and uh, um, the the filings from the major exhibitors have shown um, that there are they they seem to be keeping um, a larger portion of the ticket revenue uh, than they have in the past of typically um, they would they would uh, give distributors like you know on average 52% in the in the past see, 2020 uh, 2021 and and like in this year it looks like it's maybe even 2020 I mean it looks like it's it's they're they're giving the distributors you know less than 50 percent around 47 percent of ticket sales so um it's quite possible we'll see different splits going forward uh, because of the agreement to the shorter windows that exhibitors are going to end up keeping more of those ticket sales than they had in the past to to sort of make up for for not being able to have that exclusive window Right, right. I did want to dig a little bit into the, um, you know, into into the business dynamics for 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 the exhibitors. You have this skew towards blockbuster films, big budget films, you know, nine figure openings. These event films that people that you know really really pull people into theaters for that, that you know they might you know the experience might be significantly degraded if you saw them on on TV at home. In order to sort of support that, you have theater companies talking about, you know, adding more IMAX screens, more, you know, more high tech, you know, experience products to their, to their auditoriums. Um, so that's an expense, you know, we, we, we've also touched a little bit on, you know, branching out into non-film content, alternative content. These changes are coming at a time when theater companies are still like trying to recover from this 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 big hit they took during the during the pandemic how do you see those i i guess i i just want to understand you know wade you you dig into some of this stuff specifically how, how do you see these balance sheet issues working out you know you know these expenses being demanded at a time when um you know when revenue is still muted you know and when, when um outcomes are still uncertain for for exhibitors I think there's different approaches being taken. I mean, you have Cinemark is, they're sort of looking into, you know, improving efficiency and modifying their food and beverage offerings and streamlining processes and things like that. And, you know, maybe in focusing on like alternative content. Uh, uh, and then you have someone like AMC who's, uh, who really seems to be wanting to, diversify and just come you know focus on things that to typical you know exhibitor wouldn't do i mean they've they've invested in a mine you know mining company <laughs> yeah as i say become a become a gold mining company right yeah. they, they you know they're they're looking into selling uh, nfts um and, and getting involved in cryptocurrency they want to have a branded credit card um and, you know, and then they're they're getting into the popcorn business, selling AMC branded popcorn. So, um, I think there's 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 numerous ways that companies are going about trying to you know diversify and um, expand their offerings and and, and improve things. Um, I don't think there's there's one simple answer to it. Let's see. Okay, so uh, you know, last lastly, uh, kind of a, a broad outlook question for y'all. Um, do you see the theatrical film experience, the business, um, the model? Do you see that changing much once once this post pandemic 
recovery, you know, stabilizes and matures. What are some of the changes you see from the pandemic period becoming permanent, you know, becoming fixtures in the in the post-pandemic industry? And, you know, what are some of the things that you don't expect to change, you know, say in three years from now? Um, how does the how does the business look compared to what it looked like in 2019? Well, uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me in terms of changes that will stick are the windows. Uh, it's been evident for a, a long time now that the 90 day window is dead. It's not coming back. Uh, but you know, we've, we've discussed that 45 days it, it's, it's half the window, but it really may end up and is seemingly to already have far less of an impact than, than maybe once feared because of a movie movie's bottom line for most of the bigger titles anyway, have earned the bulk of their, their revenue at the theater by then. But I, I think it probably another change that will stick is one that was already in play as most of these changes were, they were just, you know, sped up by people having to stay at home and that's the consumer expectation. People more and more have access to generally affordable big screen TVs at home that can't replace the theatrical experience either in terms of presentation or, or the audience aspect. But what it does is raise the stakes and, you know, people want to go see IMAX or Dolby or RPX or screen X or, or any of these others 40 X. They also go to a dine in theater. They'll go to a, you know, maybe a, a smaller auditorium that doesn't have all those bells and whistles, but it's still very nice. It's well kept. It's clean. And it doesn't have 15 year old surround sound. That's maybe cutting out. And that's something exhibitors have to look at. That's that's going to be those are going to be the screens that movies are playing on after five to six weeks, unless they're, you know, like Top Gun and just still making bank. Um, so, you know, that that's something I think that really is tied into that conversation of the premium screen experience becoming more and more in demand and, and exhibitors wanting to expand that as much as possible, as as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, the new window is, is definitely sticking. Uh, I don't think there'll be much more experimentation. I think, I think that it, that was done, um, in, in 2020 and 2021. And, um, I think this, the studios realized that it, especially for big event films, you need, it needs to be in a theater. It needs to have that exclusive run. It needs to draw excitement, uh, draw buzz, because you know it's you know, forever how well a film is done in the box office is going to be a, a sort of a measure of how well it's going to perform down the line in other channels um i think there will be some contention with you have to deal with savvy consumers consumers who um subscribe to these digital services and start to realize um oh yeah these movies are coming onto the service that I'm paying for, you know, much faster than they used to. So I'm, they're going to really start to decide, is this, is this a movie I pay for or a movie I wait for? Um, and, and, you know, back piggybacking onto what Sean was saying. So it's up to exhibitors to really look at providing a premium experience. So not only will it be just the title drawing people in, but it's how, how great is it? to go there and experience it in that environment. Well, very cool. I really appreciate y'all taking the time. Great insight, great commentary. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to y'all some more, both for some of our coverage here at SMP and then also 
you know, maybe we'll jump on another podcast once, once we get some more data points and see where things are going. But thanks a lot, Sean and Wade. You're welcome. Yep. Thanks I'm for having me. My pleasure.